Welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer We cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. Has anyone else been watching a whole lot more television since the pandemic than before? I know I have. (laughs) I think everybody I know has been watching a lot of television and it kind of got me to thinking about medical shows and the shows we watch on television that portray medicine and hospitals and doctors and disease and conditions in a certain way. I kind of went down memory lane and thought about the first medical show, I, if you can call it that, that I ever remember watching was when I was in grade school and would walk home from school for lunch. Boy, those were the days, weren't they? We lived about a block from Studebaker School, and I walked home every day at lunch, and my mother would have on the television General Hospital. And that's really my first ever glimpse of medical shows on TV. And I didn't really sit down and watch it but it was always on in the background while she was fixing our lunch and I was eating lunch and uh, I do even remember from that long ago um, some of the characters Dr. Steve Hardy and Nurse Jessie Brewer (laughs) and I was thinking about how um, those shows really were about people and relationships and you know, I think that's why I remember <laughs> the characters, you know, the big Luke and Laura wedding. Um, the None of this <laughs> I know anything about. <laughs> they really weren't medical shows about medicine. Um, they were soap operas and they were about people and relationships. So um, that was my first kind of um, introduction to medical shows. And And then as a child, getting a little older, I remember like Dr. Kildare, Ben Casey, Marcus Welby, MD, and of course, MASH and the spinoff Trapper John, MD. (laughs) And all of those shows, um, I think it kind of evolved. They were still about people and relationships. And um, I think they still focused on those, but they brought in more medical stuff little by little. And then we creeped into St. Elsewhere, Diagnosis Murder, Chicago Hope, and ER along with Scrubs. So those, I think, even crept more into medicine. I remember our family watched House as a family, and we were um, always guessing at what crazy illness or condition the people had, guessing right along with the interns and residents and house, of course. Um, I was telling Alex today that just about every episode, somebody had sarcoidosis. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it was sort of a joke in our family that, oh, that's what it is. And 
that's the first I'd ever heard of that term. So I was kind of learning a little bit along the way, although I don't think that was really the focus. And now Alex and I are re-watching all of the seasons of Grey's Anatomy from the very beginning. And um, it kind of brought to mind, for me, what perceptions we've all gained from different medical shows. Grey's Anatomy really, even though there's a lot about relationships and people, um, it is a lot about medicine, um, conditions and diseases, some weird stuff a lot of times, but you know, they're using a lot of correct terminology and um, they have medical professionals who consult the show and that kind of thing. So it made me think about how we perceive medicine through the eyes of medical shows on TV. Well, in every episode we watch, I think, well, that's not how they do it. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital between my cancer, my other health conditions, and, you know, even things like, the doctor is not going to wheel my wheelchair to the OR or my gurney to the OR. They have a whole transportation staff. <laughs> yeah. Who, that's their job. They call transport. They come get you. They take you to your scan. They, you know, um, and I get that a lot of that is theatrical because the main characters are doctors and they need to be on screen and they need to be having, you know, these conversations and stuff. But And they want to show how much the doctors care about their <laughs> patients. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it's just interesting to, to be watching these with no formal medical knowledge, but very much um, an informal medical knowledge um, and, and lots of experience. Yeah, lots of experience from being a patient to being a visitor <clears throat> to being a family member. And so it's just it's just been kind of fascinating. Yeah, and you know, a lot of the things when <laughs> we're watching, we really laugh out loud at some of the things we see. Um, one of the things that comes to mind is when a patient rings the call button, the nurse is there like in two seconds. <laughs> There's a nurse at the bedside. That's not real life. That does not happen. <laughs> and, you know, my best friend is an RN. And so I, and we have an extensive um, network of nurses in our family. Oh, yeah. We love nurses and, and what they do. Um, but they're busy people. Yes. They're often understaffed people, particularly at night. And um, so they don't come running at your every beck and call. <laughs> That's just not what they're there for. Well, and a lot of times um, it's a CNA or uh, someone who's not an RN who answers the call because you might just need a glass of water or something. But in the um, dramas that we watch, Grey's Anatomy in particular, which we love Grey's Anatomy, so we are not knocking it. Not only do they ring the call button and somebody is there immediately, it's an RN. And she probably has had military medical training and could do a trach if she had to. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Meanwhile, I have personal experiences of ringing the bell, ringing the bell, <laughs> ringing the bell. Particularly, um, there was one instance I was overnight in the hospital for um, one of the two brain surgeries I've had. And I was on a medication drip 
And if you've been in the hospital, you know, when the medication drip ends, it starts to beep. Mm. And they normally come in and take it away from you so that it doesn't beep anymore. And the nurse had showed me how to delay the beep by one minute, 60 seconds. And so she said, when it starts beeping, call me, I'll come get it. And after a little while of ringing my bell and nobody coming, um, I just wanted some sleep because it was the middle of the night. And so I unplugged the machine and I put my robe on and I walked down to the nurse's station. <laughs> wheeling the machine. Wheeling the machine and said, could you please turn this off? <laughs> um, so I'm that patient. Um, but, it, you know, it's just funny to, to look at, at different things and um, and certainly I was a low risk patient at that point. So I was not a priority, especially on a neurological floor. Yeah. You weren't a fall risk. So. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, some of the other things that we notice on Gray's anatomy that kind of make us chuckle, um, is how the interns openly fight for, uh, big surgeries. I mean, they stand in the hall and scream at each other because in front of the patient sometimes. Well, and not just the interns, but the lack of decorum yeah. that everyone has talking to each other in the hallways, talking openly about patients. And, and you know, again, it's dramatized and there's a purpose to it, right? They, um, they have a really obese patient at one point and the interns are laughing at how fat he is and, um, and, you know, they get to a point of it's medicine. You're going to see all kinds of people and you can't make fun of them. You know, you have to accept them for who they are. You're saving everybody's lives. This is what you're signed up to do. Um, and so I get that there's a point. Yeah, it's storytelling. Exactly. And so they need to do it. But it is funny to to look at it and kind of laugh that like, oh, that doesn't really happen. Well, and I would love to hear from medical personnel if we are wrong about that. Does it really happen? And we just haven't seen it in Maybe real life. Maybe it's behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> but it is out in the open on Gray's. And even the doctors who fight over ORs, um, you know, saying, well, my surgery is more important and my patient is a higher risk. And they stand in front of that board and erase and use markers and everybody does it it's like nobody's really in charge <laughs> you know they'll just take somebody's surgery away and put theirs in their place meanwhile every surgery i've ever had you you know when you get confirmation with the doctor that okay we're going to move forward with the surgery this is what it's going to be you go and you sit in like a patient advocacy room and they walk through all the financials with you and all of the releases and then they they say, okay, your surgery is going to be at this time on this day. And you come in now, of course, all of those surgeries were planned. I've never had an emergency surgery and, you know, perhaps that's different, but certainly I think a level of what these shows leave out is the hospital administration piece mm -hmm. of it. They get into a, it a little bit with, you know, the chief of surgery having to make schedules and do this and that. But I think there's a layer that's missing um, because they really just wouldn't have time for it. Well, and if they had one on Grey's Anatomy, that person would be firing people all the time. <laughs> all the time. Because of the way they're behaving in the halls and in front of their patients and fighting with each other. And, and sometimes literally fisticuffs. And cutting LVAD wires. <laughs> <laughs> and they still get to come back and work. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, the, um, the HR is really lax um, <laughs> in the medical shows, but... 
again, it's for a purpose. We see that. Um, and, you know, it helps tell the story. Well, and it really is interesting to look at, um, you know, there are pre-op and post-op pro- protocols that if you've had surgery, you go through the whole gamut of the um, auxiliary staff comes in and prepares you. The surgeon comes in and checks and touches base with you to uh, say, you know, uh, positive things. It's going to be a good, we're, we're going to get in there and get it taken care of and you're going to be just fine. And, and usually draws an X on whatever yeah, body on part whatever they're body operating part. on and signs it to make sure that it's the correct side. Exactly. And the anesthesiologist comes in and talks to you about your history being put under and all of that. Um, and then afterwards, of course, afterwards you don't really remember so much. So you have to rely on the people who are with you. (laughs) I remember nothing of any of my surgeries from the point of it being over to being back in my room. Well, but let's be honest about how you react to anesthesiology. I'm not allergic to anesthesia per se, but I have a consistent reaction that no matter, <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing, no matter how I'm feeling, I'm sobbing. Hysterically. Hysterically. I don't mean I'm just crying. No, I am inconsolable. I cannot stop crying. And it that's, has, a, that's when she wakes up from anesthesia. It's immediately when yeah. I wake up and it freaks all the nurses out. <laughs> and I've just learned when I wake up, and I start crying, I have to say, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. Don't, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't hurt. I'm fine. Because really, it's just something that with the anesthesia wearing off, whatever medication they use, it gives me a real strange reaction. <laughs> well, and I think one of the last times um, you had your consistent reaction, one of the nurses even said, Oh, we see that sometimes with patients. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I I don't know if she was just trying to make all of us feel better because I think that was the one that our friends Aaron and Peggy were with us were with me waiting in the waiting room, and then we all went back to recovery, and you were hysterical, and um, I kept saying to them, "No, this is normal. This is what <laughs> she does. She's really okay." And they felt terrible, I think, for you. Um, but I just really tried to help them feel like it it was just what happens to you. And, and that's when the nurse said it. So I don't know if she was just trying to make all of us feel better or what, but it it is really interesting how different, how different things affect different people. And, you know, um, going back to my friend who is a nurse, she also has naturally red hair and, um, redheads are known to need more anesthesia than, people with other color hair and so you know just how things react differently with different bodies and um it really is just fascinating (laughs) I don't remember I I think I remember one time only that um I had a similar reaction to Alex's but it wasn't when I was coming out of anesthesia it was after my open heart surgery and um Alex was back in Orlando I was at the Cleveland Clinic and um she called or we called her to make sure, you know, let her know everything went okay. And her dad said to me here, you know, say hi to her. And (laughs) when I started talking to her, I started sobbing. I mean, I really was fine until I started talking to her. So, um, I don't think that was an anesthesia thing. I think that was a mom emotional (laughs) thing that, 
you know, I was so happy I was okay <laughs> for her and my son. Um, but I haven't had that kind of reaction. But hers is consistent every time. And she's had countless surgeries. We can't even count them. Um, That's and- what countless means. <laughs> <laughs> and every time it's been the same thing. So we just have grown to expect it now. Mm-hmm. You know, in talking about comparing Grey's Anatomy and maybe some other shows, but in particular that one since we're re-watching, um, to real life, I will say the dramatization on television of the doctors, um, the interest they take in the patients, it's kind of an interesting thing for me to watch because I feel like most doctors have that compassion and that empathy and the interest in caring for the patient. But I'm afraid nowadays, um, for so many reasons, they don't show it. They don't get involved. Um, they try to be stoic and um, be the, the medical professional who provides the service and the information, but um, really kind of guards themselves against becoming too emotionally involved in fact they even talk about that a lot on Grey's Anatomy because the interns are always getting too emotionally involved in their patients um but I get it I get why we we live in such a litigious society and um doctors have to be so concerned about malpractice and you know being accused of something that they really didn't do or wasn't meant to be that um and that that's not only surgery and actual treatment but um also the way they they talk to the patient the things they say they have to be so careful and um you know that's just sad to me I get it I understand that um some malpractice suits are warranted and need to be uh brought to the court and taken care of um But it's sad to me because I do think with some doctors, it keeps them from opening up um, and letting patients see how they feel about whatever they're going through. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, most doctors do take a personal interest in their patients, at least to some level. Um, And, you know, I've always felt cared for and um, I haven't had any real horrible doctor experiences. Um, and even though we love medical professionals and we have, um, you know, nurses in our family, um, maybe we should do an episode on some of the less savory doctors (laughs) that we have come across, not naming names of course, but you know, just some of the, our experiences, um, because there are some negative ones sometimes. Well, and you know, um, that, that's a thought and, I would say in my own experience, I've probably had worse experiences with um, doctor offices, with the office staff, uh, rather than the doctor, him or herself. Uh, so that's, a, that's for another, another day. Um, but you really have, in, in this latest cancer journey, I almost said adventure, <laughs> I mean, it adventure been, is relative, yes. but, um, yeah. But in, in, uh, your cancer diagnosis and treatment and, um, you know, journey, you've had some very compassionate doctors who weren't afraid to, 
um, show compassion, your OB-GYN who didn't get to, he wasn't the one who told you you had cancer because he happened to be out of town when the results came in. When you finally got to see him, I was with you and I, I was just so proud of him and how he handled, you know, being there with you and what you'd gone through and we're going through, um, and how compassionate he was. I, I truly was grateful. He was your doctor at that time. I was too. And I think what's even more interesting about that is there was no medical reason to see him again. Um, you know, he had done my DNC, gotten the results, and I had been passed off to a gynecologic oncologist and was told that I would see her forever. Even after the five-year mark being cleared, I wouldn't go back to a regular gynecologist um, because recurrence is kind of just expected at some point in your life. Or at least a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so it's just safer to follow up with the same oncologist. And so I didn't have to go see him, but he insisted. Um, he, he said that he really wanted to see me and speak to me about the results and what that meant. Um, and he was the one who insisted I see a fertility specialist. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he really, he really cared. And I, and he, it was really interesting. Um, he was not my gynecologist for a long time. I had my GP does well, well women visits. So I hadn't been to a proper gynecologist in a while because my GP was doing my annual pap smear. Um, and he sent me to this guy cause he was a specialist in heavy bleeding. So I had only seen him a couple times before my DNC and then once after. Um, so even with that little exposure, he was still, you know, so interested in my case. And he really was the one who looked at the big picture and presented it to you and asked you about it, uh, you know, how you were feeling, what you wanted to do. And like you said, he insisted you see the, the infertility specialist, even if nothing came of it and you didn't decide to freeze your eggs or anything, he felt it was really important for you to speak with with a, a fertility specialist. And as it turned out, it was. I mean, it ended up being um, a very informative appointment and helped you make some decisions. Yeah, it was really great. I will say the only, <laughs> the only negative thing about that particular visit was, for some reason, he was in a different office than he normally was in and so oh. um we had to wait in the OB office and everybody was pregnant and what was that like a week or it two it was only like a week after or, my hysterectomy yeah. and like yeah it's still kind of fresh at that point so mm. that was a little rough but beyond I mean that had nothing to do with him it was just scheduling and where they put him or whatever but um but yeah it was pretty interesting he was so compassionate I mean and he took so much time. He was not in a hurry. It, he, it was as though he had nothing else to do that day. He wanted to give you the time you needed. And um, I, I, just, I just appreciated that so much as a mom to know he cared so much and wanted to be sure you were okay. You know, back to uh, our Grey's Anatomy <laughs> 
what what season are we on? Ten. And I think um, it's running currently, or the new season in the fall is going to be season 17. seventeen. So, you know, we've we've come pretty far. And I've been watching it the whole time. Alex kind of dropped out a few seasons, but um, it was really popular when I was in college. And then I got my first job, and you know, got less able to sit in front of the TV because even back then we didn't have DVRs and all that fancy stuff. Um, so I am. Some of it's new, and I know that there are definitely seasons that I haven't seen that mom is very anxious for me to get to (laughs) and to experience for the first time. Um, But something else that I think is really interesting, and it's kind of silly, but hospital rooms don't look like that. (laughs) That's for sure. At least in my experience. And, um, you know, maybe the fancy private hospitals do, or maybe those are ICU rooms or something, but... They all have glass doors and glass fronts, or they're and huge glass walls and walls, yeah, and and they're just they're really really big. I mean, um, one of the latest episodes we watched, there was a whole family sleeping in the room with the sick child, and I mean, there were children and parents, and everybody just fit. And I don't think I've ever been in a room quite that big. No, <laughs> and the other thing we've noticed is. Um, the sheets are colored sheets, like green sheets and pink <laughs> sheets. Well, and we and it's really funny because we'll be like, "Oh, he got the green sheets. I wonder what's special about him." Or, "Oh, he got this." Let me tell you, everything in a hospital is white, white so bleached. they can bleach it because there's going to be blood or pee or poo or something on it. Medicine, like they got to sterilize it, so it's got to be white. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so that's been interesting to um, just look at the set and see how different it is. Um, lots of fun stuff happens at, around those nursing stations. And I guess to some degree I have seen that. Um, people will bring uh, gift baskets or homemade cookies and things like that. For birthdays or mm-hmm. other celebrations. I will say v- pretty frequently when there's a scene... Um, usually at night and someone's walking in the hall and they, they need help and they can't find anybody. And I've never been in a hospital day or night where you can't take two steps and talk to someone who works there. Uh, you know, the nurse's station is always buzzing. There's always activity. Um, you know, there's never a time where all of the nurses are in patient rooms. You know, everybody's moving about because they have to go get medicine or they have to do this test or take this patient somewhere. And so um, that's a little unbelievable that, you know, you would be in a hospital and not be able to find anybody to help you. Yeah. It's been fun. Um, It's been fun to watch and kind of contrast what's real and what's drama. Um, And that's given us a fun thing to do together, I think. Yeah. Well, we know a lot of our listeners are fellow cancer survivors and have probably gone through similar experiences. So we would love to hear, you know, what have you seen if you watch medical shows or, um, you know, what are some things that stick out to you that are different um, and not portrayed in an accurate way? Um, You can always email us at downthereaware at gmail.com or find us on social media at downthereaware and um, send us a DM and we would love to hear all of those. We just thought it'd be kind of fun this week, you know, uh, with the pandemic, with a lot of things going on in our world today. Um, I have a lot of friends who are suffering emotionally and having some 
rough days being um, inside and dealing with a lot of things that are happening currently in our world. And so we thought it'd be kind of fun to just look at drama of medical shows and do some comparing and laugh about some of the things um, that happened that we, we watched together. Uh, so we just wanted to have a little lighter conversation today. That certainly doesn't make light of any of the medical conditions, um, but sometimes you just got to step back and enjoy the fun. That is for sure. We, we all need a little levity these days. Yes. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you next week. Thank you.